0: The Tennis gambling Podcast on the Sports Gam Podcast Network is brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets, the sports fan research platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Download the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit hfbets.com. Use code SGPN to get 50% off your first month and start making smarter bets today. We're also brought to you by SGPN's ultimate New Year's Eve party. Hop on Sports Gam Podcast YouTube channel for a truly degen afternoon, complete with drafts, pick prizes, live sweats, and more. The fun starts at 1230 Pacific Standard Time, New Year's Eve. Welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Gam Podcast Network. It is currently Saturday evening, December 30th. And I'm your host, so is Scott Rochelle, once again, going solo for this pod. Feels good to be back. The offseason is officially over, and the start of the 2024 season is about to get underway. Kind of weird, though, because it is still technically 2023, but it is the start of the 2024 calendar year. So definitely looking forward to this, uh, to this uh, upcoming season. We're going to cover every ATP event. So, once again, if you are new to the podcast, first of all, welcome. I hope you have fun tailing my picks and even just enjoying the tennis banter and potential rants that I'll go through almost every episode. But the point is, if you are new, we will be covering the men's tournaments. I might try to do a better job of covering the women's, uh, because we did a couple of women's episodes last year, didn't do many. Maybe I'll bring on a guest or two that kind of specializes in women's tennis. I follow, not as much as men's, so that is why all the episodes, or most of the episodes that we do, are on the ATP Tour. But still, point is it is time for the first event of the year, going to be Brisbane, which is actually a somewhat... Uh, interesting first tournament because it has not been held since 2019. So it has had a bit of a hiatus. It is now back, and you have the return of Rafael Nadal, who's going to be making his return following the injuries that he's been dealing with for the last year or so. So it is good to have him back. We'll see how he does. I'm not going to keep the expectations for him that high, but still, it's good to see him back. We know Federer retired a couple years ago. Djokovic is still in peak form. But we know that Nadal and Djokovic, anytime you get to witness some of the greatest players of all time and you start to see their physical decline, it's pretty depressing. And even if you are not a fan of Nadal, you don't want to see his career end because of injuries. You want to see his career end because he just got older and he decided that it was time to hang it up. But it is good to see Nadal back. Hopefully he looks pretty sharp. And we'll see what happens moving forward. But as for the actual tournament in Brisbane, we'll get into the preview for that in a second. In case you weren't aware, by the way, there are two events coming up this week. One in Brisbane, one in Hong Kong. However, they are starting on different days. So we're going to do Brisbane in one episode. Then we're going to do Hong Kong in another episode, probably on Sunday. So stay tuned for that. We're going to break down these two tournaments individually, and then we're going to merge the two when we get later on into the events. I do think for this upcoming year, though, I'm going to add an episode per uh, per tournament. We would do the uh, Grand Slams and the Masters 1000 events the same way where we would do one episode for every round, and then for the others, we would end up doing an episode for the semis and an episode for the finals. That was the usual format. However, I think I'm going to branch out and do episodes on the quarterfinals as well, so I think I am going to add an extra episode for all of the 250s and the 500s. The 1000s will stay the same because I was covering each round anyway, but if you do like the uh, round breakdowns, then I got good news for you because we're going to be adding an extra one of those per 250 and per 500. So besides that, though, before we get into any of the actual Brisbane outrights, do want to discuss some of the news that happened over the last month or so, because it has been a pretty fun off season. I'm trying to think of the last thing that we actually talked about. I think the last thing we really talked about, besides, of course, the next gen final, uh, I do think was Sinner. Uh, getting revenge against Djokovic and winning the actual Davis Cup final as they were able to beat Australia, I believe, in the final. Besides that, though, trying to think of anything else that really happened. And I already mentioned Nadal returning. On the women's side, Mukova officially withdrew from the Australian Open. I believe she made the semis of the U.S. Open last year, so her, her being unavailable is definitely newsworthy on the women's side. As for the men's team, had a war in his first qualifying match in Brisbane, where he was actually down a set, a break, and triple match point, and he came back and he won. So every team match is still going to be a marathon, apparently, and hopefully it qualifies for Brisbane. Besides that, though, I'm trying to think of any of the highlights that are worth talking about. I I had a list, but I can't find it, so I'm going to have to try to remember what there is to talk about. The one thing I do want to at least mention was a pretty – unique tennis event that we don't exactly see that often, and it might tie back into a rant that I gave out a couple of months ago during the US Open. It involved a Battle of the Sexes 2023 edition. Now, this was not planned, but what happened was there was an exhibition event that happened, and Andriva was supposed to face off against another female tennis player. That fell through, but the fans already paid the money for tickets for the exhibition, and they needed to find somebody for her to play. So they decided to scramble at the last minute, and they tried to find anybody with a professional ranking to face off against her, and they did. The bizarre part was it was a man, so they ended up having her face off against a man named Giannis Gazzoni Durant, who was ranked somewhere in the 1,000s, so you had a 1,000, ATP-ranked guy against a player in the top 60 on the women's side, number 57 and Andriva, and the man won in straight sets. So I wanted to bring that up. I'm not going to go too far into the battle of the sexes, but I thought it was a pretty interesting event that actually happened during the month off. And my tie back into what I said before about the Billie Jean King win, uh, which I called one of the most overrated wins in the history of professional sports, but... I do think, once again, when you look back on all of the, I'd say, media outrage towards certain people criticizing the idea that women's players can compete with men's players, McEnroe got roasted for basically saying Serena would lose to somebody ranked in the 500s, and you ended up seeing a number 54 losing straight sets to a guy ranked in the 1,000s. That kind of def- that kind of defends McEnroe's point, and it kind of goes back to what I've said before, which is not a hot take. Once again, I just think that women's tennis and men's tennis is totally different. I think men's tennis players would easily dominate uh, most of the women's players out there. And I do think, once again, this was an example of that that happened over the last month. I'm not going to deep dive it because I mentioned it in the past. But still, once again, you did have another installment of the Battle of the Sexes. And you ended up seeing Andriva lose to a player who was ranked in the 1000s on the men's side in straight sets. I can't say it was a blowout. I believe the first set was 7-5. But I think the second set was 6-2. But either way, the point is you ended up seeing Andre lose. But anyway, time to actually move back into the purpose of this episode, which is going to be the preview for the Brisbane tournament. If you are new to the show, once again, we're going to be doing an episode pretty much solely focusing on the outrights. Usually we go through the quarters. We'll go through the outrights to win the thing. Then we'll give out a lock and dog pick at the end of the show and that will be on individual matches taking place in the first round. But anyway, I will fully disclose that I do not have access to the quarter draws right now, or or the quarter odds, I should say. So we're going to only do the predictions to actually win the tournament with some bets, but I am going to still cover the projected draw of those players as we always do. So without further ado, let's get the show on the road. Starting off with the odds, you have Rune as the favorite at plus 450. Of course, he made news at the end of the year when he was in the middle of a free fall of switching coaches, and we'll see how that works out now that he's Becker as his head coach. At the end of last year, he actually looked better. I don't know if he's going to be, I'd say, back to his old self again, but it did seem like Rune was kind of finding his form once again, so we'll see if that carries over. Maybe the offseason under Becker is going to help out Rune get back on track, but we'll see what happens. Either way, point is, Rune is the favorite for this event, which might tell you this is a pretty weak field because you have a lot of good players currently in the United Cup, like Djokovic, etc. So there is another event going on. Decided not to cover it because it's country-based and it's kind of a weird format there. So I decided to not do it. But a couple of the top players, hercatch for example, Djokovic, are busy with the other event, which might explain why Brisbane's field is relatively weak. But Rune is the favorite. Then you have Nadal at plus 500. No offense to Nadal, but the fact that he's the second favorite here tells you how bad this field actually is. There's no way Nadal, who has not played an actual competitive match in about a year, should be the second favorite in an event. I think that's absolutely nuts, but of course Nadal's reputation is going to get him into those type of spots. I'm going to spoil it right now. I'm not taking Nadal. There's just no value on so much uncertainty at 5-1. to one. Now, he could get it done, maybe. We'll see how he looks, but I can't risk it. 5 to 1's a horrible price. I'm going to pass and try to go with other options. You have Shelton at 6 to 1, Korda at 6 to 1, Dimitrov at 6 to 1. You have Umber at 11 to 1, Safulin at 14 to 1, Murray at 18 to 1. You have Karatsev at 20 to 1, Wolf at 25 to 1, Kokanoks at 28 to 1, Arnaldi at 28 to 1, Thompson at 33 to 1, Papyrin at 33 to 1, Vuksovic at 33 to 1. And I know I mentioned a lot of names if you want to throw in some other names of note. Shevchenko, who is pretty good late in the years, at 50 to 1. You'll buy as at 50 to 1, and that's basically it. Now, to go through the actual draws for these players, I'm going to tell you right now, the new ATP website kind of sucks. They had a changing of the layout, so it does not flow as easily when it comes to looking at the actual draws in itself which is going to be pretty annoying, but they do have a new player draw feature. So I'm going to try to use this, and hopefully it works out. So looking at the possible draw for Rune, facing off against Purcell in the round of 32, then potentially facing off against the likes of Vanasha or uh, Shevchenko uh, in the round of 16. Quarters could be J.J. Wolf. A qualifier, Hoffman, or Corda. So Corda versus Rooney could actually be a very good matchup in the quarterfinals. Uh, besides that, to go through everything else there, uh, you're looking at in the semis, potentially facing off against Shelton, Safoulin, Papyron, O'Connell, Arnaldi, a couple other options. But he might have to go through, for example, Corda. Well, I'm not going to skip Shevchenko, actually, because he was good to end the year. So you have Shevchenko, then Korda, then maybe Shelton. That's a pretty difficult matchup there, or difficult path for Rune. So I do think Rune, despite being the number one seed at the event, still has some uncertainty with the really bad tailspin he went into for the last couple of months, in addition to the bad draw. 450, I think I'm going to pass. I really just don't see much value with him being the favorite, with me needing to kind of see a bit more with Becker as his coach. Maybe he just needed the offseason to, you know, recharge his batteries and he'll look like his old self again. I believe when I see it, though, I really don't see much value, especially with a draw that is pretty difficult. Now, to go through the other options, I'm going to go with Nadal, because I got to at least mention him to go in order. So Nadal, to go through his path, he has a qualifier or a lucky loser in the first round, so he should be able to win that one. Then he has a matchup against Karatsev or Kubler, I'm going to assume Karatsev, who you know is one of my uh, most, I'd say, interesting players to follow because he's a head case, but we know the talent is there. We know he made a deep run in Australia, in the Australian Open, a couple years ago. Karatsev, with the firepower he has, I think, can beat a compromised Nadal. So I think Karatsev is always dangerous, especially on hard court in Australia. So that might not be an easy match in the round of 16. Then the quarterfinals, Thompson, Vukic, Qualifier, or Umber. A reminder, Umber did win a title at the end of last year, and he was in great form. So Umbeir is definitely not an easy opponent to face in that spot. For potential semifinals, you're looking at a pretty decently easy group of guys, though. You have Echeverry, Kokonakis, uh, Murray, and Dimitrov, but Murray plays against Dimitrov in the first round, so that's going to work itself out. But the point is, if Nadal can actually get through Karatsev and Umbeir, most likely the semifinal path is really not that bad, so you're looking at what can be a pretty interesting draw for Nadal, but once again, I'm going to pass on him on principle because I really think that for his first tournament back, I'm going to need to see how Sharpie he looks. He's also older. I wonder if he's going to be rusty. There's a lot of questions to be had. And I do think that Nadal is worth passing on because of it. If you like Nadal and you root for Nadal, then sure, you can bet on him if you want to, but I'm not going to because I think 5 to one's too cheap for a guy that has not played in basically, I don't know, a year at this point, a little bit less than that, but I, I just can't do it. So I'm going to pass on Nadal as well. Now, Shelton is the third favorite. Him and Corda have kind of similar draws, so that could be the interesting element of the section because you are looking at what could be a pretty decent run for the Americans in this tournament. So to go through the early rounds, round of 32, a matchup against Safulin. I'm a big Safoulin guy, so that's a very tough matchup in the first round. We know Shelton made a good run in the Australian Open last year. Safoulin was very good middle of the hardcourt season, and then at the end, he was okay. Had a couple wins, almost won a title, lost a heartbreaker in three sets to Zverev. But Safoulin, I think, is good enough to win the ATP title this, this upcoming year. But that matchup against Shelton really takes away the upside for me for picking Shelton to win this event at 6-1, to one because he could lose in the first round. Now, the problem is, uh, with that philosophy, is that his remaining rounds after that are actually not that bad. Matchup against Papyron or O'Connell in the round of 16, then either Arnaldi, Fuksovic, a lucky loser, or Baez, I think he would be favored in each of those matches. Then, looking at the semis, you have a potential matchup against Rune a matchup against potentially Wolf or Korda. So a couple of, or Shevchenko. So a decent amount of talent in the semis that he might have to face off against. But if he gets past Sefulin in the first round, he really should have a decent path to make it to a semi. So I wish I had quarter odds because I kind of wanted to see what Sefulin's odds would be in comparison. I think that matchup should be fun. I think Shelton is probably going to win that match against Sefulin, but that's a very, very... Fun match on paper. And I think because of that, I'm gonna skip Shelton at six to one. That matchup's a little bit too scary for me to jump on a future with because I do think that uh once again, Shelton is a volatile player. He regained his form at the end of the year, but after the Australian Open initially, he was awful, and then he kind of picked it up again in the hardcore season to wrap up the year. Uh, including winning a... I believe it was uh, an ATP 500, I think, which you won, where he beat... I think it was Karatsev in the final. But still, the point is, I do think looking at this overall spot uh, spot and matchup for Shelton, he's only minus 140 in the first round of the money line. So, it's a kind of a toss-up match, and I think because of that, I am going to skip Shelton with the odds. Now, moving on to Korda at 6-1, who you know I think is an absolute head case, but... He's a massive favorite in the first round, as he's currently a minus 480 favorite against Hoffman. Hoffman's not bad, but I think Korda is better. Korda also looked very sharp in Australia earlier last year, where you might remember he almost beat Djokovic, probably should have, and lost an absolute war in that one. But I do think looking at this... uh, Actually, I'm trying to remember. Did he win that match? I'm trying to remember if Korda actually uh, beat Djokovic in that match. I think he lost in three... Uh, yeah, he did. He lost in 3,000 Adelaide, but the point is Korda did look very sharp in uh, the warm-up tournaments in Australia for the U.S. Open, and he also made a pretty deep run in the Australian Open, including a destruction, uh, a completely lopsided win against Medvedev before he got injured and eventually had to withdraw against uh, Koshanov. But I do think Korda's game does translate well historically uh, in Australia. And with a relatively weak field, I think I am actually tempted by Corda. Now, I know Corda's lost people a lot of money because I think he's a head case, and I think that he's a closet head case who is a pretty bad choker on tour. But looking at the actual path, he has a matchup against Honthman in the first round. I mentioned before he should win that. Then probably Wolf in the second round. Wolf also made a somewhat deep run in Australia last year, but I think that Corda is the better player but that would be a pretty fun matchup between Americans. Then in the quarters, matchup against either Rune or probably Shevchenko, maybe Van Asha, but I do think that Korda can beat Rune if Rune is out of form. So that's a pretty decent draw for Korda. And then after that, in the semis, a potential matchup against Shelton, Safulin, they play against each other, so that'll work itself out. Uh, Arnaldi, Fuksovic, or Baez. It's once again a pretty good draw for Korda. I think I'm going to take Korda at six to one. I just think it's a good price for a guy that has a pretty decent draw. And once again, I have issues with Rune and Nadal, the two favorites. Shelton, I think, can perform well, but the matchup against a fool in the first round being that close does scare me. So Korda, I think, has value at six to one in this spot. Now, moving on, you have Dimitrov at six to one. If you are new to the show, Dimitrov is a meme on the show because he never wins anything. And people always try to hype him up because he's always on the verge of turning back the clock. He was good last year, made a couple of deep runs in tournaments, but he has not won a tournament in basically I forgot how long it's been. Like it's been a long time. Uh it's been at least a president ago. So you're looking at Uh, Dimitrov, who I'm never going to pick to win a title. I just can't do it. He never wins. So I'm going to pass on Dimitrov. I also think facing off against Murray in the first round is not ideal. So Dimitrov should be a lot larger than 6-1 to I'm going to pass. Now looking at Umber, uh, to go through his draw, once again, I kind of have to do this freehand one-by-one because of the new ATP website layout, which is a pain in the ass. But still, uh, to look at the Umber draw... Uh, He has a pretty decent draw as well. He has a matchup against a lucky loser or qualifier in the round of 32, then a matchup against Thompson or Vukic, should win that one, then either Karatsev, Kubler, a lucky loser, or Nadal in the quarterfinals, and then to get past the quarters there in the semis, a potential matchup against Echeverry, Kokonakis, uh, Murray, or Dimitrov. But I do think, once again, 11-1 on Umber, whose biggest competition early on, is a nadal that is kind of an enigma so i do think looking at the spot it's a good opportunity to jump on a solid young tennis player who was kind of peaking with his form at the end of last year or the end of 2023 and now that can carry over into australia i like it i think 11 to one is a good price give me you bear i think that's a pretty good deal now so I think it's fun. I think that he's going to be a guy that can make some deep runs on the hard court season. Not in this event, though. I think Shelton in the first round is too difficult for me to consider fourteen to one. I'm going to pass now. Murray at eighteen to one, facing off against Dimitrov in the first round—that's easily a pass at eighteen to one. Now I prefer that over Dimitrov, but still, I've said publicly, I think that, I think Murray's not going to win another title uh, on the ATP level, I should say, and I have not really been scared at all when since I said that for the last year and change. I think Murray's a guy who can win a round or two physically. I I doubt his ability to recover without days off in between rounds. And I also just don't think he's the same guy that he used to be, obviously, with the hip replacements and all the injuries that he's had. I also just don't like him. Simply put, I think he's one of the biggest whiners in the history of tennis, and I am looking forward to his retirement. So Murray's a guy I'm not not really going to back. I've made cases for him last year in spots, so I'm not automatically anti being a hater where I'm automatically going to fade Murray at all costs. But for the most part, I'm skeptical of his long-term success in tournaments, and as a result, I'm going to skip him at 18 to 1. Maybe at some point with an easy quarter, I'd consider to take him to win a quarter but no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to pass on Murray. Now, Karatsev at 20-1 to 1 is interesting because he is easily the biggest wild card of the event because he's plus 2,000. We know good he can be on hard court. He's be- I don't want to call him a hard court specialist because he's actually had decent results on clay in the past. But for the most part, he is a hard court uh, favoritist. Let's call it that. His best service is on hard court. And I do think that you're looking at a pretty decent draw if... He can beat Nadal. Now, it's kind of similar to the path I mentioned for Umber, because they're in the same section. But Karatsev would get first dibs at Nadal before Umber would. So I think Karatsev I'm going to pass on, because he'd have to beat Nadal, then Umber, which is not the easiest in the world, but I think it's mostly just doubting the mental stability of Karatsev in this tournament or in any tournament. 20-1 is maybe tempting, but I think I'm going to pass. I really just don't trust him in the grand scheme of things to maintain his composure in some tough matches and to get over the finish line. So I'm going to pass on Karatsev. Uh, Wolf 25-1. to I'm going to pass on him too. I think Wolf's a good player. There are better players in the field. I think he needs a lot to go right for him in this draw uh, with upsets left and right for him to make an extremely deep run. So I'm going to pass. I still have too many questions about Wolf's backhand and his net game. I'm really not a fan of. Now, I know that most players don't come to the net that often, but if you are able to get to the net and end points quickly at hard courts, maybe you back up your good serve. Wolf has a good serve, especially he's got a nasty kick. Or I should say a slice serve, which is filthy. But still, the point is Wolf has a good serve, but I wish he backed it up with a good volley game, uh, which could shorten some points. Doesn't really have that. His forehand I like, his backhand could use some work. I'm going to pass on him. Kokonakis I'm going to pass on because I don't trust him ever to make deep runs. I think he's a fun player, can win you a round or two. Maybe he'll lose in a a heartbreaking fashion, but... Koganakis tends to be the guy that always goes to competitive matches against pretty good players, and he always loses. I feel like he never wins those matches, so I'm going to pass on Koganakis as well. Arnaldi at 28-1 to is interesting because he ended up making a pretty decent U.S. Open run last year. Lost to uh, Alcaraz, no shame in that. But I remember uh, reading that Arnaldi was actually one of the first players to go down to Australia. So he actually traveled there pretty early, and I do wonder if he got extra prep time in Australia. So maybe you make the argument if a lot of players aren't fully adjusted to the climate in Australia, Arnoldi might have an edge because once again, he did make the trip about about a month ago. So he's been in Australia for a pretty long time, and it might help him early on this event. Now, his matchup against Fuksovics in the first round, not easy. Fuksovics is always a tricky player because he can beat anybody, but physically, his body's always going to fall apart. So Fuksovics is, in my opinion, a top 30 guy if his body would stop betraying him, but he seems to always get injured. So Arnaldi could be in a difficult spot early on, but maybe he could beat Fouksovics. Then I think he should beat either a qualifier or Baez. Then a matchup against either Shelton, Safulin, Papyrin, or O'Connell. I think Arnaldi would probably lose that one, but if you want to go for, once again, a long shot at 28-1, to 1, he did make the trip early, so maybe stamina-wise, he might have an edge in the competition. But I think for the most part, I really don't see many serious long shots that are worth consideration. I want to look quickly... At Shevchenko's draw at 50 to 1, because he was very good at the end of last year. And I do think that he can uh, find a way to maybe make a deep run if his draw is pretty easy. Vanasha, though, in the first round is definitely not easy. I think he might win that, but that's going to be a war. Then Rune in the second round, yeah, it's not going to work out for Shevchenko. That draw is too difficult. So I'm going to pass on Shevchenko. Papyron at 33 to 1. Papyron's another head case, but he does have the home country angle since he is Australian, and he did win a title last year. It was on clay. I believe he won in Umog when he beat Warenka in that fun three-setter. But Papyron has the firepower to make a pretty decent run if the draw is favorable. Can I see him beating Shelton or Safoulin? I can. Is it likely? Not really. But I can see it. In a world where Papyron maybe goes blow for blow with Shelton serve, many breaks, and Papyron is just able to use the forehand to outlast Shelton, I can see it I think he should beat O'Connell in the first round, uh, but I do think look at the overall draw. It's not terrible. Is it a great draw? Not really, but I think you make an argument at 33 to one. Papyron might be the best option for a local guy to make a deep run, but I think for the most part, I'm going to pass on the long shots. I don't really see much. I think if I was going to uh, go with anybody else, let me just quickly look at, uh, Thompson quickly at 33-1, to 1. then I'll look at Van Asha uh, out of curiosity. But looking at Jordan Thompson very quickly, uh, Vukic in the first round, that could be a coin flip. Uh, then Umbear in the second round, yeah, that's that's not going to work out, so I'm going to pass on him. Looking at Van Asha, though, who has a very, very large price, uh, let me just see if there's anything appealing about his draw whatsoever. He looks pretty decent in the next-gen final, ended up losing in, I believe, the semis, uh, but he has been fine. Venasha, we know, is not a good server, but he can outlast opponents. He's got great stamina. And in the Australian climate, that could work out to his advantage. But Shevchenko in the first round is not easy. Then Rune in the second, Korda in the third. Yeah, it's not going to happen. So I think for the sake of this tournament, I'm going to stick with the two, I don't want to say favorites, but two guys that are kind of low on odds, but not insanely low. I'm going to go with Korda at 6-1. to And I'm going to go with Umber at 11 to one. Let me just quickly see if I could find better odds for either guy. But I think for the sake of this tournament, those are going to be the main options that I'm going to go with. I found 12 to one on Umber. I want to see if I could beat that, but I think that's probably going to be the best that I find. Uh, Let me just quickly see if I could find anything like that. But once again, I feel like a lot of the overall tournament for this one in particular is going to be based on draw because you're not going to know how sharp the guys are going to look in their first event of the year. And as a result, you can argue it's a coin flip where maybe a guy catches fire. You have a Quan run last year where a lucky loser ends up winning a title if things go his way. Maybe that happens, but for the sake of this event, I think I'm just going to stick with the two guys that I like to draw for and two guys that I think have the game to make a respectable run and maybe find a way to mess around and win the whole thing. So I think for the sake of this, the best odds I found were Corda at 6-1 to one and Umber at 12-1. to one. That's going to wrap it up for the actual outright section. Now it's time for the lock and dog picks for the actual matches. But before we continue that, do I want to take a quick word from our sponsor? We're brought to you by the SGPN Ultimate New Year's Eve Party, a live stream party this Sunday over at YouTube.com slash podcast. Live pick'ems, live drafts, live sweats, and of course, prizes Sunday, 1230 p.m. New Year's Eve Pacific Time, the SGPN Ultimate New Year's Eve live stream. We're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Underdog Fantasy is a great place to play alongside your favorite fantasy players all season long. NFL, NBA, NHL, college basketball, and college football. Simply pick higher or lower on your favorite players' fantasy stats and cash in. So watch along, make your picks, and maybe make a little money over on Underdog's mobile app or website, underdogfantasy.com. And when you sign up with the promo code SGPN, Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. It's Underdog Fantasy, promo code SGPN. P-N. We're also brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets. Win bigger betting smarter this all season with Hall of Fame Bets, sports betting analytics platform for parlays, player props and game lines. Research every NFL, NBA and soccer bet with historical stats and data. Enter any parlay idea into Hall of Fame Bets's revolutionary pro optimizer tool to get hit rates broken down by leg, as well as an expected probability for the entire parlay. Sort all players by hit rate for any bet. To learn which players are hot and which picks have value. Stop betting in the dark and join over 30,000 users researching with Hall of Fame bets to craft more intelligent, data driven parlays. Download the Hall of Fame bets app versus hofbets.com and use code SGPN to get 50% off your first month today. Start researching, start winning with Hall of Fame bets. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing the outrights for Brisbane. Now it's time for the actual lock and dog picks. For the matches, we're going to start off with the lock and look at a matchup between Rune and Purcell, and I am going to go with Rune to win in straight sets at minus 115. Simply put, i mentioned it several times before, but because we faded Purcell uh, in the back half of last year, he's really a challenger of a player that is kind of coasting off of one Really good hardcore run on ATP level last year. I think it was Cincinnati where he made a deep run, almost beat Alcaraz, and then reverted back to being a challenger player. But he's mostly a doubles guy uh, when it comes to being a successful ATP member uh, as he was able to win a Grand Slam title, for example, in doubles. He's a solid doubles player, and he has not played many singles matches recently. To go through Purcell's recent results, he played his last singles match in November it was November 8th, and he lost to Ilkel, who was a relative unknown. Uh, he was actually a pretty decent favorite in that match. So he's not played a singles match in basically a month and a half, and he played four doubles matches since then. So I do think, once again, Purcell is not really known for being a great singles player. He's a servant volley guy, but Rune is a very good returner. And Rune, I said before, I was kind of underselling it, but he was pretty good to end the year. Now, I'm not sure if he's going to be able to sustain that to actually win a tournament, in Brisbane. But a reminder that he did qualify for the ATP finals and he looked pretty good. I mean, to go through the results in Paris, he beat team in straight sets, beat Altmaier, then lost to Djokovic in three. No shame in that. Competitive match against Djokovic. Then faced off against Djokovic again in the ATP finals, lost in three. So no shame in that. Beat City Paz because City Paz quit after three games and then lost to Sinner. And that ended up being a marathon. Uh, which Center won 6-4 in the final set. So Rune was able to hang in there against two of the top, in my opinion, three players in the world, two of the top four players in the world. I think I would probably put Center ahead of Medvedev at this point, because Center did beat Medvedev in the last couple of head-to-head meetings. But the point is, I do think that Rune is simply put in another class compared to Purcell, who's a fringe ATP-level player. I also like the fact that Rune announced it was about a day or so ago, I think, that he extended his stay with the Moritoglu Academy. So he is keeping a decent amount of his training partners and coaches, which can promote some stability. Still has Becker as his new kind of head coach. So I do like the fact that Rune is keeping the same training partners, the same, uh, I'd say structure around him in place, and he's going to build off of his relationship with Becker, and maybe that carries over, but he did look good to end the year, and Purcell really did not give me Rune to win straight sets at what I think is a pretty cheap price at minus 115. Now, moving on to my dog, I am going to go to a matchup between Fucsovics and Arnaldi, and I kind of alluded to it before, but I am going to go with the over two and a half sets at plus 145. This is actually going to be, I didn't mention before, by the way, Rune and personal have never faced off against each other before, so there is no historical data uh, to actually draw from. But the same cannot be said about my dog pick, because Fuxovic and Arnaldi have faced off before. They actually faced off in a challenger event back in January of 2023, which Fuxovic did win in Canbury. That did go three sets. He won the first set 6-2, lost second set 3-6, and then ended up winning the third set 6-1. So there is... And once again, it wasn't even that long ago, was in January, but still this year, 2023, and it went to three sets. I mentioned before that Arnaldi is a guy that was able to go down to Australia early, so it might look pretty sharp. But Arnaldi has been known to go to a decent amount of marathons, and Fuxovics is kind of the same way, where both guys will have some very high highs, and very low lows in individual matches, and I do think that might result in a very up-and-down match for both players, which can be unpredictable and which can go long. But simply put, if you want to give me a plus 145 uh, odds bet here on the match to go 3 when the overall match odds for the money line in this one is Arnaldi at minus 125, the spread is minus one. So you're expecting a very close 50-50 match anyway, and I can get the full marathon in that 50-50 at plus 145. I really like the value on that. Once again, I think Foucault is a good hardcore player. Durability is a concern, but it's the start of a new year. I think it'll look pretty good, and I think Arnaldi will look pretty good as well. Give me what should be a fun back-and-forth match that goes the distance at plus 145. So once again, my lock-in dog for the Brisbane show is going to be on Rune, minus one and a half sets at minus 115, and my dog will be on Arnaldi and Fuxovics over two and a half sets, and that pays out at plus 145. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. A reminder, we we'll back once again tomorrow to go through Hong Kong. We'll do the same exact format just with a different tournament. And then we'll be back once again for the quarterfinals of both Brisbane and Hong Kong. We're going to merge those two tournaments for the quarterfinals episodes onward. Until next time, though, find me on Twitter, at Rice Show Radio. Find me on a bunch of podcasts on the network, the NBA show, the MLB show, when it's it's, uh, time for the season again. Find me on the NFL show, and you get the point. Until then, though, you can also interact with me on the Discord. I recommend joining the SGPN Discord. It is free to use, and I'm on there all the time talking to people about tennis. So if you do want to talk to me, reach out to me on Twitter or on the Discord server. But until next time, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.